the revolution will not be televised, but it is being digitized right here on Digital Village. Hi, this is Rick Allen. And I'm Leilani Albano. On Digital Village, we're bringing you stories about the Internet and technology and how they're shaping culture, along with every other aspect of our lives. The digital revolution is indeed awe-inspiring, but can also be used for nefarious purposes. We're here to help prevent some of those abuses. You can hear us archived on kpfk.org. And digitalvillage.org. So, on with the show. Facebook announced it is ending its facial recognition program, resulting in the removal of a billion users' face prints. The move comes during a period of intensifying backlash against the technology, which critics say invades users' privacy and is being used as a tool for mass surveillance. Despite the announcement, Mark Zuckerberg has stated that Facebook's newly minted parrot company Meta still plans on using biometric data in the future. There is a growing movement to restrict biometric surveillance. Jeff Markley and Bernie Sanders have introduced the National Biometric Information Privacy Act that requires companies to get opt-in consent before collecting and sharing users' data. With us to talk about the issue is Nathan Sheard, Deputy Managing Director with the Electronic Frontier Foundation. He spoke with Digital Village's co-host Leilani Elbano. Welcome to the show. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Facebook announced it'll end its facial recognition program. Your thoughts on this move and what kind of impact will this have? It speaks to how loudly and clearly that the public has spoken over the last several years on their concerns about use of face recognition technology. That, you know, a company like Facebook, who was one of the pioneers in the area and has been using the technology since 2010, would feel they need and feel the pressure to move forward and not only ending their current use of face recognition technology on their social media platforms, but also deleting, and really importantly, deleting over a billion face prints from folks that, that they collected from people around the world. Okay. So specifically, though, it'll just be ending the tagging of photos and videos? Is that what it will do? It's ending the use of face recognition with their social media platform. And so it's one of the ways that people have experienced that over the last year, yes, is in the ways that it will suggest you've uploaded a photo before and seeing that it correctly or sometimes incorrectly identifies someone says, hey, do you want to tag this person? That's a, a use of their face recognition technology. Well, there seems to be a growing momentum against facial recognition, not only in the United States, but globally. Why is there a pushback now? Hasn't this been around for a while? I think, you know, over the years, we've seen both the detrimental impacts of the technology. We've seen research that has shown the disparate impacts of the technology. And I think in general, from, you know, the work that advocates like ESF and others have done, people are becoming more aware of the ways in which face reference technology threatens their privacy and their security. At this point, over a dozen cities have chosen to ban government use of the technology. And states like Illinois have enacted regulation that puts real controls over the way that biometrics data is collected from individuals like private entities as well. And so really, I think that there is a growing awareness of the t these harms of the technology, as well as a gr groundswell of folks really making their voices heard that this is not something that they feel comfortable with. And where can we find facial recognition? What is it used for? So a lot of us use it to open our devices. I think that's probably one of the most popular way that folks are probably 
you see using it on a daily basis. But of course, you know, face recognition since 2010, Facebook had been using it to tag photos. And I think those are likely the, the two ways that people most often see it. And then, of course, we know that it's also being used by police departments in, in many parts of the world. Face recognition technology is a way of using computers to identify images, face faces in an image, and then to create a face print or a mathematical representation of that face in order to, you know, to either identify a particular individual. Again, you can also be used to, to match with, uh, you know, an image that you've already stored on your device in order to unlock your device or to identify whether a particular face appears in many different images with the same face in order to cluster images that include a particular individual. There's many current uses as well as potential future uses. A word that I've been seeing often is the term face print. How is that different from the raw face image? Well, a face print is quite simply just a mathematical representation of the face that appears in an image. And so whereas, you know, humans, when we look at an image, we're looking at the colors and whatnot that make up that face. And we identify it as we Know, learned from babies to identify that this thing is a face and it represents a, a person. Computers, on the other hand, they, you know, they, they break things down into numbers. And so a face print is simply the mathematical representation of a face that a computer uses to act in the way it's been trained to. But then when does face clustering and tracking become problematic? One of the most glaring concerns is government use of the technology. And we know from the work that Joy Balamwini and Dr. Timothy Gebru and Deb Raji have done that the technology has a disparate efficacy rate, you know, in identifying women, in identifying people with darker skin, in identifying younger folks and older folks. But even when the technology works 100% accurately, it is still quite concerning and the potential impact that it would have on our freedoms to be able to visit a medical clinic without concern that it, it might be somehow recorded and and stored by the police department in our, in our area and potentially could come to be used in the future in a way that would not be in keeping with maintaining our privacy and our freedoms. And similarly, you know, being there's a long history in the U.S. of surveilling religious minorities. So the potential of that could be used in order to identify how many folks were visiting a particular mosque or other religious institution or an LGBTQ center for that matter. All of the ways that we should really feel and our, and our, we have both the human right as well as the civil right to be able to engage in society and explore ideas and to associate with other people without a concern or without feeling the chilling impact that, you know, mass surveillance would potentially have. And there's, you know, studies have already shown that when we have situations of both real mass surveillance as well as the concern of mass surveillance, people change their behaviors and their, their likelihood to explore new ideas, unpopular ideas is, is impacted. So, so when a technology like face recognition that can do that on a scale and in such a covert manner, the threat is quite alarming. None of us would be comfortable with simply being told everywhere you go, you need to wear a badge on your shirt that says, this is my name and this is my address and this is where I live. But that's essentially what government use of face recognition would be akin to, except at least in those situations, there's only so many people that a police officer can stop and log and catalog and you would be aware of it and you could protest it if you chose. But because face recognition happens in such a covert way and on such a scale, it's unprecedented in the potential impact and the harm and, and concern that it causes. And also, I, th I believe it was EFF that did point out the fact that this is even more so, uh, it is in a larger scale in communities of color because already they have so many surveillance and perhaps more surveillance cameras than they do in white communities. 
plenty of business areas. For instance, here in, here in, in San Francisco, the Union Square Business Improvement District, there's over 400 cameras in that particular area. So I think I wouldn't say it is because of the number of cameras, although certainly we know that our communities, the black and brown poor communities, are, are to, have traditionally been, been over-surveilled. But we also know that there are many other ways in which there's are just harmful disparities and bias in the way that policing has particularly been engaged in our communities. Both the likelihood that policing would continue and that the use of face recognition will only exacerbate that over-policing and that over-surveillance is very real, in addition to the, to the built-in disparate efficacy of the tool itself. Just going back to what you're saying in, in terms of you were alluding to cases of mistaken identity where these types of technologies are not able to accurately identify people with darker skin colors. On an intuitive level, I understand that, but why does this type of technology have a harder time identifying people of different colors as well as people of different genders? You know, I think that there's, there's probably a number of different ways to look at that problem. And I think a large is probably also, is we, have to, we have to also look at who is actually involved in training the development of these tools. By and large, you know, women and ethnic minorities in the U.S. are vastly underrepresented in the technology field and are therefore, it's easy to also understand that they're also vastly underrepresented on the teams that are developing this technology. This is somewhat, you know, corroborated by the fact that, you know, the at NIST, which is the, the government agency that does regular research on the efficacy and, and how effective the face recognition technology is, has shown that, you know, in the U.S., our face recognition systems that are developed here are not very good at, seeing, at recognizing darker-skinned folks and, and Asian folks as well. Whereas it's in, when you look at the systems developed in China, you see that they are significantly better at, at identifying ethnic people that in the U.S. we would consider ethnic minorities, but less effective at white folks. And so just that just speaks um, kind of kind of underscores the ways that representation within the technology industry is continuing our existing biases and exacerbating our existing biases in our culture and communities. And why is facial recognition technology especially dangerous for black people? So face recognition technology, beyond having disparate efficacy that's been, been well documented in you know, Joy Bolomini's Gender Shades Project, there's also the fact that our policing in the U.S. has also been shown over its history to be subject to, bias, to racial bias and racial disparity. And we have in many ways, a racial injustice system. So even if the technology works 100% accurately, it is also being used in a system that has a history of disparate harm on poor black and brown communities. And you look at a tool that has the efficacy that it has, it would be illogical to come to the conclusion that being used by a system that has a racial disparity and a tool that has a racial disparity would somehow not create and exacerbate those existing harms. Moving on to a different topic, facial recognition is categorized as a type of biometric surveillance. Can you explain what biometric surveillance is? Sure. Biometric surveillance is any surveillance that involves the collection and analysis of our biometric data. So be that, you know, our, our irises, our gait, our voice, face and other features, all of those things would be included in the category of biometric surveillance. And so the permanency of biometric data, which is basically our bodies, our body parts, that raises concerns. You know, if my driver's license gets stolen or otherwise compromised, I can replace that. If my social security number gets stolen 
or you know otherwise compromised, I can replace that. Same for my driver's or for my license plate or any other form of ID which is issued to me by the state. I cannot simply change my face should that information somehow be compromised or fall into the wrong hands. And this has already happened where we've seen that more than 100,000 face prints collected by Customs and Border Patrol, the control of them were lost by a third-party vendor that was working with CPP. And so those 100,000 people who have, been, who have already been impacted by a failure to uh, responsibly control that data, there's no way they can simply replace their faces in order to mitigate the harms involved. Right. So if your data is stolen, for example, it's like, how do you prove that that's you? It seems a little harder. That surely underscores how important it is that we really have important uh, protections around the way that that data is collected and retained. Your organization advocates for a ban on government use of facial recognition. Why is there a distinction being made between government and private use? Well, when it comes to government use of the technology, remember, we're talking about a technology that in the hands of the government can have a significant chilling effect on our First Amendment freedoms and a detrimental effect on our Fourth Amendment freedoms. And that is really inseparable from the use of the technology, regardless of how well it works. If it worked 100% accurately across all demographics, the chilling effect it would still have on our ability to engage in protest without concern that that information could be collected and stored and used in ways that would harm us that chilling effect is inseparable from the use of the technology. The impact that it could have on our ability to associate with folks without concern, that association and who we associate and where we associate, what venues we go to, you know, whether we visit a medical clinic or a religious institution, all of that information in the hands of the government and the chilling impact that it would have in the hands of the government is inseparable from the use of the technology and would have a significant impact on our civil liberties, our, our freedoms, as well as our human rights. And whereas, you know, the private use of the technology also has significant concerns, but they are very different. And so therefore, you know, it is imperative that we ban government use of the technology. And where it comes to private use of the technology, we have to make sure that the community, the person whose information is being collected, is the ultimate decision maker and is empowered with the ability to control who, how, and when that information is shared with and how long it is retained. And so, you know, whereas we strongly advocate that government use of the technology must be banned when it comes to private use of the technology, you know, we think that Illinois has gotten, has gotten it right with their Biometric Information Privacy Act, which requires that an individual be that their biometric information is being collected, how it's being collected, how long it's going to be retained, you know, who it's going to be shared with before it's collected, and before it's collected that that person be required to give, to opt in to giving them affirmative consent to use it in those ways and to share it with those companies and for the explicit amount for it to be changed for the explicit amount of what should be on. They've entered into any agreement. Right. And that kind of leads me to think that it isn't all terrible, right? Using biometric data and certain types of facial technologies. Aren't there positives to using that type of technology in certain situations? I think many people have found it an easy way to make sure that their devices are secure. Of course, it's easier to, you know, it's more protected to actually use a passphrase or a passcode to protect your device. But, you know, if the option is against using the biometric data that is securely stored on your own device versus not having a password on your phone, that is a potential benefit. And but we all need to decide that for ourselves based on our, our own risk and our own threat analysis. And when it comes to private collection of the data, the individual should be who, who understands their own risks 
and their own uh, needs, they should be empowered to make that decision. Okay, I certainly can't decide for someone else whether that is in the balance of all the things in their life, whether that is a benefit. But I do think that person should be empowered to decide for themselves whether that is a benefit. So moving on to the subject of facial recognition technology as it is being used to detect emotion, some activists are saying that this use of facial recognition can be used to discriminate against others. Can you tell us about that? First of all, I think it's important to say that, you know, the the idea that across cultures and across uh, races and across neurodivergencies accurately identify someone's emotional response and what that means, it it would be laughable if it wasn't so concerning. And so I think that that's really where we have to start off in recognizing that there is not a technology that effectively does that. So especially we need to be concerned if we start thinking about like utilizing it in ways that would potentially impact someone's freedom. And so here it is trying to measure emotion. I'm just trying to understand it's kind of like practical use out there in the world. I would hope that it's not used, quite frankly. I mean, I'm sure that there are many advertisers that would love to be able to accurately assess how someone reacts to a particular image or a product that they're putting in front of them. That's simply not the case because we simply don't all have the same emotional and physical responses. Well, going back to the topic of Facebook, even though Facebook says it's ending facial recognition, the company says it isn't ruling out its use in the future And also its new parent company, Meta, says it's going to use facial recognition. So what was the whole point of Facebook's announcement that it'll end facial recognition? For some, it sounds like a joke. Well, I think it's really important that, A, it shows, you know, for Facebook to make that that announcement shows that they are aware of the concern um, of their users around the, the collection of, of their face prints and data. Really importantly, again, again, I mean, as I mentioned, ret- the retention of that data and the ability for people to affirmatively opt into the content to, to consensually give that data is really, really important. And so the fact that they've now agreed to delete over a billion face prints that they've collected since 2010 is really important for the privacy and security of those over a billion individuals across the globe. Now, as far as their use going forward, in that same statement, they alluded to the fact that for financial transactions in some, you know, in some other ways that they might consider using face recognition in, in, in the future. And it sounds like, at least, I'm not one to trust them until they've implemented it, but it sounds like they do intend to do that with strong regulations and controls, making sure that it is consensually collected. And they've already found themselves, the un, I'm sure, the undesirable end of a $650 million settlement for violating Illinois' Biometric Information Privacy Act, which is a place I'm sure they don't want to see themselves end up again. And so, you know, going by what they've announced, it does seem that that is their intent in the future. We all need to stay extremely vigilant and hopefully move forward. You know, legislation like the National Biometric Information Privacy Act and any thoughts about Meta's announcement that, hey, you know, we're going to we're, we're moving forward with something called deep face and probably will be using this type of technology. Yeah, again, so it's going to really going to be really important for us all to stay vigilant and to put forward to really stay on our lawmakers and those that are better, our elected representatives to put in place responsible regulation that puts the control into the power of the users about when and if that information is ever collected and how it's used. Looking at this, how close is the U.S. to placing strict limits on facial recognition in the private realm, and what must be done to achieve that goal? 
Yeah, I think we need to move forward. The legislation that's been put forward by several of our senators and assembly folks and moving forward the National Biometric Information Privacy Act. And if we can get that, if we can get that law put into place and get the law enacted, then we will be in a much better place when it comes to our private collection and storage of our biometric information. And of course, as more than a dozen cities have already done, we need to continue to advance the fight to ban government use of the technology. It must be frustrating for digital rights activists to be seeing these types of violations being done over and over again. Do you want to see an enactment of something that's over-encompassing? Do you want to see something like the, the GDRP in Europe? Or are you okay with the approach that's being taken in terms of addressing a lot of the cyber issues in the United States? We certainly need to continue to move forward privacy protections that protect consumers similar to, you know, California's uh, CalExpo here in California. So, yes, yeah, so we just absolutely need to continue to push forward legislation that gives individuals the control of how their information, be it biometric or otherwise, right? So when we talk about GDPR, that's, that's you know, not biometric information, it's simply uh, the privacy of our data in general. And so while I don't think that the GDPR, it would be appropriate to simply cut and paste it into, into other communities in which it was not built or designed for, but I do think that we absolutely need to push forward to you know, more robust privacy protections across the U.S. Well, that wraps it up. Thanks so much for joining the show. Thank you. Pleasure, Lonnie. That was Electronic Frontier Foundation Deputy Managing Director Nathan Sheard. He spoke with Digital Villages' Leilani Elbano. That's it for this episode of Digital Village. You can hear us archived on kpfk.org. And digitalvillage.org. Thanks for listening to Digital Village. I'm Rick Allen. I'm Leilani Albano. And we'll see see you online. online.